on the church, we've learned so far that this building is not the church. This is just a building. So we are gathering together to, today in a building, but we as a body are the church. So wherever you go, where two or more of you are gathered, you are taking the church with you because it is the body of Christ that is the church. We are the church. We learned that we are the light. We are to be the light in this world. The church is to be the light in this world. And we talked about last week that we are to fight the good fight of faith, that the church is to fight the good fight of faith, that we are not on a cruise ship, that we are on a battleship, right? Amen. So I'm going to add another picture to what the Bible talks about as being the church this morning. And it's a really interesting picture as a church is described as the bride, the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church, the people of God, are his bride. A really interesting picture of the church. Actually, one of my favourite prophets right now has written a book called The Bride. And he's got a picture on the front of this book of the bridegroom dress, but I love it. He's got army boots on the bride. And I love it because the bride... Yes, she's dressed well, but she's ready to go. She's got her boots on. She's ready for war. So this is not a wussy bride, right? This is a, the bride of Christ is to be ready at all times. So the church is described as the bride. Now, the, the description of this is the spiritual union between the bride of Christ and Jesus. It is, a, it is a picture of intimacy, a picture of intimacy, of his complete love for us as his bride. And as we were worshipping this morning, I was overwhelmed with Jesus' love for his bride and his yearning for his bride. And it says in scripture that he is coming back for his bride. Amen? Because there is the wedding, the wedding supper that we are all invited to. We have our invitation. Some will disregard that invitation and not come. But those of us that are smart enough to come will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So the marriage relationship is depicted as a covenant a covenant relationship. It, that is a strong and binding covenant that nothing can break. Right throughout the Bible, the relationship between God and his people was sealed in a covenant with God. So that marriage is a spiritual relationship. So in the Old Testament, sin against God was likened to adultery. Adultery. 
God was pretty strong on that. He's like, church, you know, you're putting things above me and you're prostituting yourself with other things. He was pretty strong in the way that he spoke to his people because it's the betrayal of the relationship. You know, God is yearning for the, for the intimacy with his people. He's yearning for that intimacy with his people, for us to put him above all things. is like how J. John would describe. It's like I'm married to my, my partner here. His partner's called Killy. I'm, I'm married to her, and yet I have a picture of someone else in my wallet. How bizarre would that be? It's like we put other things before God. And he is a, the scripture says that he is a jealous God. So it says in Isaiah 54, 5, For your maker is your husband. Jehovah of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. It says, For your maker is your husband. Your maker is your husband. This is a picture of intimacy. Intimacy with us as his people. A special relationship. We belong to God. If you are a Christian in this place, you belong to God. The relationship between us and our maker, it's sacred. It's a sacred relationship He's passionate for us. He is grieved when we compromise our relationship and we put other things before him. The church, I'm ashamed to say, has put other things before the love of their God. They've put their own fleshly desires above the love of their God. They've put culture above the love of their God. They've put sexuality above the love of their God. And you cannot compromise on that relationship. Just as a husband is jealous for his wife, and rightly so, our God is jealous for our love. That's how much he loves you. He is jealous for your love, and that is a righteous jealousy, that's not, a, that's not a fleshly jealousy. That is a jealousy of righteousness, of purity, because he wants our whole hearts. He, d- he doesn't want a divided heart. Can you imagine any, any one of you that's married or members being engaged? Can you remember if I got engaged and then I said to Ian, oh, and by the way... Um, Leading up to the marriage, I've just got a few of my other boyfriends that I just want to, you know, hang out, hang out with and, you know, but you'll, but you'll be all right with that, won't you? Because, you know, the marriage is not for a while, so, you know, you understand, don't you? You understand. It's okay. I'm still going to marry you. It's okay. Can you imagine how crazy that sounds? 
Mind you, it does, it does happen out there in the world. Statistics show that Bucks Nights, yeah, pretty bad. 50% of them, I think, end up in flings before the marriages. So it does happen. But can you imagine? But this is what we do with God. We want to have other things in our lives that are more important and we push God to the side and we, we play around with the world and we think it's going to be okay. We think God's going to be okay with it. It says in Deuteronomy 4.23, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of Jehovah your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image, a likeness of anything, which Jehovah your God has forbidden you. For Jehovah your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He is jealous after you. Why? Because he's egocentric? No. Because he loves you with all of his heart and he wants your whole heart. He wants your whole heart because he is passionate after you. He is passionate for your heart, passionate for your life. Passionate enough to die for you. Passionate enough to die. Will this world die for you? No, it won't. They'll want you to die for the world. But the world won't die for you. Jesus is the only one who will die for you. This is a pure, righteous jealousy, which comes from his complete love. This is not an insecure jealousy because God cannot be insecure. Not possible. He knows who he is. Do we have other loves in our life right now? Are we flirting with the world and just expecting that Jesus is going to be okay with that on the wedding day? Do we think that that's going to be acceptable? I think some, some of the church does. I think they think they can flaunt with the world and do what they want and bring all sorts of things into their lives. The worship of self is one of the worst things. You don't even have to have an idol in your house. We all, we all think, oh, a graven image. It doesn't have to be an, a physical idol. We have idols of self, don't we? How many likes do I have on my Instagram? How awesome am I? We worry more about our image than what God's image is of us, what God thinks of us, the image of God in our life. What are we doing with our lives? Where is our heart? Are we watching things that we shouldn't be watching with? Are we dabbling with things we shouldn't be dabbling with? I'm so surprised at the amount of Christians that dabble in New Age practices Covering all bases, mixing, mixing religions together like the Israelites used to do. Are we flirting with the world? There's all sorts of things that have crept into the church that are acceptable. Pornography, other addictions, drunken behaviour, putting all those things before our love for God. Marriage is sacred. It is a covenant. It says, forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. 
Are we as the church forsaking all others? Ladies, would you turn up to your wedding dirty, unkempt, just rolled out of bed, (laughs) hair all messy, stride up and think, you know, I'm here. None of us would do that, would we? The preparation that goes into turning up for the wedding, there's preparation, there's care that goes into that so that we can present ourselves in the best way possible. You know, the, the culture of the Jewish weddings was that the families of the, of the um, bridegroom, they would have this celebration of, of music and as they were heading off to pick up the bride from the father of the bride's house. So there was this procession of people that would go to meet as, as the bride would come out of her house and then they would go to the wedding. Now, the interesting thing about this in Jewish culture is the bride didn't know when they were coming. Interesting. The bride did not know when they were turning up. She knew the day, but she did not know the time. And so she had to be ready. What does Scripture say? We will not know the time or the hour, and the bride must be ready. Will God find us asleep? Will he find us dirty and unkempt and playing around with other other loves? Or will he find us a church on fire, passionate for the things that he is passionate about? Are we ready this morning? Are we ready? Because Jesus is coming for the bride. And there will be a wonderful wedding celebration in heaven. Because there's that union, that spiritual union. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us so that we can be ready. We cannot possibly do it on our own. So when we ask Jesus into our life, the Holy Spirit comes in and he sanctifies us. And as we walk with him in obedience, he sanctifies us. He washes us clean in his blood so that we are ready, that we are purified before him. It is also the righteous things that we do on earth on behalf of Jesus that prepare us for this day. So it says in Revelation 19.7, if you'd like to turn there, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 19.7. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and we will give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has prepared herself. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Be glad and rejoice. Be glad and rejoice. How amazing will that day be? How amazing will that day be when we are united with Jesus face to face at 
that wedding supper. It is a celebration of what is to come and it says, his wife has prepared herself. No one else can do it for us. We must prepare ourselves. No one can make you. We must be willing to dress ourselves, to make choices in our lives, to follow after God, to pursue God with all of our heart. No one can make us. We prepare ourselves. Each one of us has that responsibility. And that's why the church as a body is so important. Because we love and correct each other. We love and correct each other so that we can be ready together as the bride at that amazing day. You know, we can't, your friend can't make you. Your pastor can't make you. We all need to take responsibility to be ready on that day, to not be found sleeping, filling in time. You cannot borrow someone else's clothes for the wedding. You must have your own. You must be ready by living out your faith every day, preparing your own heart, preparing your own life. I love the way it says here, the fine linen that the bride is wearing is the righteousness of the saints. All the good works that you do in the name of Jesus on this earth is part of your attire. That doesn't mean the things that you did for accolades that everyone knew about That isn't the things that we did begrudgingly because it was out of duty. These are the things that we do completely from our heart for Jesus because we love him. What would you do for love? When we first fall in love with someone, we want to be with them every minute, don't we? We drop everything for them. Nothing is a problem. We change our lives. We give them our time. We put them first because we're in love. Are we in love with Jesus this morning? Are we really and truly in love with him as he is in love with us? Because do we give him our time? Do we give him our full heart, our full attention? Or, is it, or are we distracted with the things of this world and the pursuits, our pursuits, our pursuits? Do we have strongholds in our life that have gripped our heart that he actually wants to break off of our life? He loves us enough to set us free from that stuff, but do we actually love him enough to want to be set free? These are the questions. We can have strongholds in our life, not because Jesus doesn't want to set us free, but because we don't love him enough to actually want to give that thing up. We need to ask 
God for help, that our desire for him would be more than the desire for the other stuff in our life and in our heart that shouldn't take first place. Is he first place? Is he our first love this morning? The union of Christ to the church will be a joyous day. And we should look forward in excitement and anticipation. But we need to be ready. And the things that we do should not be out of religion or duty, but for love. But for love. Duty burns you out. Duty will kill you. But love will inspire you. Love will give you everything that you need to keep going. Revelation 2.2 says this. I know your works and your labour and your patience and how you cannot bear those who are evil and you tried those pretending to be apostles and are not and have found them liars and you have borne and you have patience and for my name's sake you have laboured and have not fainted. But I have against you that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I'll come to you quickly and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. This church was doing all the right things. Apparently, they were doing good works on the earth. They were doing great, righteous things on the earth. But God saw their heart and he said, you have lost your first love. When we lose our first love and we serve out of duty, we're in danger of God removing that lampstand. It says repent. We need to repent, turn around, do things differently, get back to our first love. Why do we do what we do? Don't ever serve God out of duty because you'll end up getting bitter and blame other people for where you're at. Please don't ever do anything in this, in this place unless you love God. Because one day you won't like the pastors, but if you love God, <laughs> you'll keep serving. Love God and you won't, you won't fall for, away from him. Fan the flame of your love for God. Fan the flame because he is passionate after you. He is passionate after you. His passion took him to the cross, for goodness sake. What more love is this? To lay down your life for a friend. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Each of us 
should position ourselves every day that we remind ourselves of the love of God and that we are grateful and thankful for the love of God and so that when we share his love for pe- to people, when we share his love, it comes naturally because they feel the love that's in our heart. We're not doing it out of duty. It's because we actually want to share that love with the world because we know that it's changed us. We know that it's changed us. If we love God so much, we don't have a problem giving. Just saying. When we love God so much, we don't have a problem praying because we love him so much. All those things that we struggle with, we need to get the love back in our heart again. And all those things, when you look at Jesus and you see his love for you, then you won't have a problem giving out that stuff in your life because your love for him will drive you. You won't want that other stuff. All that other stuff will come off of you because you can see his love for you and what he wants for you. The Bible is a love story. It's his love story for his people through the ups and downs of them loving him, turning away from him, loving him, turning away from him. And still his love and his mercy abounds for us. The love of God changes us. In John 14, 15, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter so that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. You see, Jesus doesn't expect us to do it alone because he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us. But he does expect that if we love him, that we want to keep his commandments because we do it for love. It's interesting, I was asking God the other day and I'm like, why is it, God, that We turn from you. Why is it that we want the other things when you have given us everything? And he gave me the picture of the garden. And they had everything in the garden, but that one thing that they were told not to have. See, there's this thing within us that we think that God is withholding from us. We think that the things that he doesn't want us to do, he's withholding from us. But he is protecting us, not withholding. He gives you life. He withholds from you what is not good for you because he loves you enough. But if you pursue after those things, he'll let you have it. 
he'll let you have it because he will not override your human will. It's your choice to love. It is your choice to put him first. But he withheld nothing from you because he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross that you would know what love is, that you would know what true love is. That is true love. In Ephesians 3.17, Paul prays for the church that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, the love of God that passes knowledge. We cannot fully comprehend. We can never comprehend the love of Christ. It is too wide and too big and too deep for us to comprehend. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of God is to be changed forever. To know the love of God is to be changed and to live for him and to put him first. They said to Jesus, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? He said, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. For those of us that are married, you know, I have the love of my life that I married but he's not, not my first love. Jesus is my first love. He's the one who is first in my life. As good as what Pastor Ian is, <laughs> he cannot possibly fulfill my every need. No relationship can, because we are flawed people. But God's love is pure, complete. And we can trust in him this morning. There's a great quote this week that I heard Jim Caviezel say. He's the man who was Jesus in the Passion and has just starred in the new movie Sound of Freedom. And he was talking about his love for God and he was talking about what he was prepared to do for his love for God and how hard this, the movies that he has done and the journey that he's been on recently. And he said, I am so sick of hearing, of course God loves you. He said, but what I would like to see is how about we start loving him back. How about we start loving him back? And I thought, wow, what a great statement. Yes, God loves us. But he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for a bride that is prepared and ready, living for him wholeheartedly, with their whole heart, 
being transformed into his likeness. We need to start loving him back. Is he your passion this morning? Is he your first love this morning? Is he first in your life this morning? Let's pursue with all we have this morning the love of our life, Jesus. Let's just pray in this place. Mighty God. Lord, we just pray that you restore the love of our hearts this morning. Let them burn brightly for you. Lord, I pray that you speak to each one of us this morning. What are the things in our lives that need to be aligned with you? What are the things in our life that are out of order? What are you calling us to this morning, God? Open hearts, I pray. Let us comprehend the love of Christ this morning. That we would truly live out of our love for him. Restore our love this morning, God. In Jesus' name. With every eye closed this morning, I want to give an opportunity to anyone that has not asked Jesus into their life. They're saying, yes, I, I want to experience that love. I want to experience that complete love of that man that died for me. If that is you this morning, I just want you to slip up your hand quickly and I'm going to pray for you in this place. Just slip up your hand. It's the best decision that you can ever make is just to give your life to him. Amen. Thank you. In this place, you know, maybe this morning God's stirring and you're going, I just want to give my complete life and my heart to God again and I want to just show him that I'm fully sold out to him, that I'm coming back to him with everything. If that's you this morning, I can pray for you. Just Slip up your hand quickly and I'm going to pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. See your hand. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you're calling each one of us back to a deeper, more intimate relationship. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling the church to be your bride, to be ready. Prepare each one of us, God, I pray, in this place. That we know that you are coming. Let us all be prepared, we pray. Speak to our hearts this morning. I'm going to open up the altar during this song like prayer this morning, please come out for prayer. Don't hesitate to do that. If God is speaking to you, make sure you do that. Amen. Amen.